is chillin'. What more can I say? Top villain. What's up, everybody? This your boy Bill Bellamy, and welcome to the number one podcast in America for the movement, the culture, and the discussion. Today, we are going to turn up the heat. I am more than proud to introduce my special guest today. She is one of my favorite journalists in the world. She represents women, the culture, the movement in such a way that I'm extremely excited to have her here. She is, you may know her from ESPN, representing Detroit. Holy, I'm excited. You don't know how much I love that. What up, I had to do that. I always have to do that. I always See, that just lets me know how much you know us. I know That's us. How I love language. Love, I love, like, so, I, like, you got to understand, those? really, really great, talented people have come out of Detroit. And my guest, she has done so much for black women and women in general in the world of journalism. I am more than excited to introduce to you Jamil Hill and author, by the way, Jamil Hill. Let's go. Thank you. Let's Thank go. You. Let's go. Me- memoir just dropped. Okay. Yep. I mean, you got a lot of titles. I do. You are, let me tell you, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fan of yours. You know why? Because I love sports, right? And I love to see a woman who can not only handle her own with all the guys talking crazy, but you are fast and funny. And you can come right back. Pop, 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 pop. So that's how I got wind of you on ESPN. You know what I mean? How did you get that job? Well, first of all, for a comedian to call me funny, that Yo, means... Yo, you're extremely funny, because you tell the truth. Yeah, that, that means a lot, definitely, because <laughs> I, I wouldn't necessarily think of myself in those terms. I got some jabs. I mean, you grew up in Detroit. Yeah. You're going to learn how to <laughs> roast gotta, people. You got yeah. to be quick on your toes, you quick on your toes. Up, you got to get them up off you. You, yes. you do, and especially as a, a young girl coming up as a tomboy playing sports with the boys. Mm-hmm. You know, they going to always try to try you. So Absolutely. you have to let them know, like, I can go hard at your mama, too, yeah, okay? I, I know your mama, so stop talking. <laughs> Exactly. You don't even want to go there. But in terms of how I came across ESPN, a lot of people assume when you work at ESPN that that was the dream job. Okay. And for me, it actually wasn't. I came through writing. So I was a newspaper journalist for almost a decade before I even got to ESPN, covering sports, being a sports columnist, covering the Olympics, like a bunch of different stuff. And it's the story I tell in the book, and it's a true story. The phrase that got me to ESPN was baby mama. Okay. How's that? <laughs> so this is how this phrase got me there. So when I was in Orlando, I was a sports columnist there. I was the only black woman who had a daily sports column, a daily sports column in North America. Oh I was God. the only one at 405 daily newspapers, including Mexico and Canada. That's why I said North America. Only one. I mean, I'm a good writer, but I ain't that damn good. Right? <laughs> so that that's just an indictment of the the industry itself. Okay. And I created this series while I was at the Orlando Sentinel called uh, Riding With. And all it was very simple. You get in a car, athlete, you ask them questions, that's it. And we do a video with it, it's, it's fine. It's just content to fill news hole, as we say. And the first person I, I had for the series was Willis McGay. Oh, and I remember we, him. Yeah, you remember Willis, uh, and former Miami star, you know, um, had a good uh, prolific career in the NFL. So I go down to Miami, do the story, and while we're in the car and I'm asking him questions, I just decided to do some silly shit. So I said, uh, hey, Willis, because I knew he had a couple kids by a couple different women. And so it happens. happens. He's young. People, he got money he in Miami. Some people are just fertile. Go ahead. Exactly. You know? So I asked him, I said, hey, Willis, 
what do you think is worse, a baby mama or ex-wife, right? right? And so he gives this hilarious answer where he talk about baby mamas. I mean, just dragging them for filth. And he's like, they always want your time, want your money. Ain't nothing ever enough. He's just going in. And I think it's pretty hilarious. So this is all included in the piece that ran in the Orlando Sentinel. Oh, my goodness. It goes viral for as much as something can go viral back in 2006, I believe this would be. And... <laughs> It, you know, a bunch of blogs pick it up. People are just making jokes. I mean, nobody's really clowning Willis. They just think it's kind of funny. And so right. the person who didn't think it was funny was the executive editor of the Orlando Sentinel, this very old white lady yes. named Charlotte Hall, who... Very, very conservative. Very problem. conservative. Because I tell people all the time they have this idea that the media is liberal. It's like, oh, no, it is not. You don't know who's making the decisions. So she calls me and my editor in the office, and she was like, what is this baby mama? She had never heard the term before. Oh my God. This is mid 2000s. You this gotta was, be kidding she me. did not know. And I was like, it, it just is another way to describe the mother of someone's children. Yes. That's all it is. It's just baby mama. She's like, it just, you know, she said it was sexist and it was inappropriate for right. the newspaper and this and that. And I had to apologize for using the word baby mama. I didn't have to apologize publicly or anything like that, but I had to apologize. I wrote an email apology to her after she called us into the office. And the funny thing about that story is that because it went viral, somebody at ESPN saw it. And wow. a guy named Keith Cleanscales, who I was, love Keith Cleanscales. Yeah, you know That's Keith, my right. Guy. That's yeah. my boy. And so Vibe Magazine. Yes, from Vibe Magazine, Disavoy, <laughs> very respected in our business. Yes. And we just so happened to have a neutral friend and he asked for a dinner introduction because he was gonna be doing some business in Orlando since Disney, uh, you know, the, Disney is right there. And so we had dinner and he was like, listen. I have an ESPN.com columnist job that's open because Skip Bayless was going to be doing TV full time and he wanted to drop the column because he had been doing both. And he's just like, I don't want to do this column anymore. So he's like, I got an opening. I would love for you to come to Bristol to interview. So I went to Bristol, interviewed, and the rest is history. I, All because of Baby Mama. Baby, but here, here's the thing that I want people to understand um, that don't know the world of journalism, right? When Because it almost feels like you guys are anonymous unless you follow the paper or unless you're locked into your column or something, right? Is When you're in that world and say you got a great job at a great paper, is it like the jump from being anonymous to being on TV, like is that like a goal? Kind of, sort of, or no. So I came up during a different time where that was absolutely not the goal because, <laughs> again, I went to school for print journalism. I wanted to write. My dream job was Sports Illustrated. That's oh, where I wanted that's to be. What, that's the, uh, the, the trajectory. That was the trajectory I saw for okay. myself because I had a subscription as a teenager. You know, obviously in college, like, you know, you remember those Sports Illustrated covers. I still absolutely. remember they were, when... They were always prolific. They like, were always were, right? That's the where the writers went. Yes. And so... You know, broadcasting, journalists who do both, who are multimedia, who are doing writing and broadcasting, that didn't really start to become a thing, like a real thing until, you know, somewhere around 2003, four, where you saw, where well, at least I saw more of my print colleagues transitioning over. Of course, the sports reporters have been around forever. So you would see, you know, Mitch Album and Bill Roden and Brian Burwell and Ralph Wiley and, you know, Dick Schaap, all those, those were newspaper guys, but they just did a Sunday show. Then next thing you know, a show like Around the Horn comes along where they're putting newspaper columnists on I TV know. That's every dope, day. though. That was like when I was on MTV. They said, like, my job being a VJ was like a DJ being able to be on TV. So that's what I'm kind of... It's, it's, it's very similar. Very yeah, similar. Very yeah, similar yeah. in that regard. So this was starting to be a thing, I think in part because a lot of us who were in print saw the money potential. Oh, yeah. 
And so when <laughs> I decided to uh, make the jump to ESPN, I was looking at the trajectory. In newspapers at that time, we kept hearing gloom and doom is coming. Uh, the internet was, was hot and heavy. Newspapers were still thinking it was a fad. Right. And that, and so people go always buy papers. Exactly, they will never stop having a real paper in your hand. And we had this running joke that Shit. we, was, you know what I'm saying? We had this running joke. We were <laughs> I saying, I ain't seen a newspaper in ten years. You, man, hell, they don't even print them. I, I know. mean, they print like a couple times. A I week used to and be a paper it. boy. I used to throw that bug. Boy, boy paper boys up is in, over. Now you gotta throw an iPad. <laughs> so they didn't put out of business now. <laughs> no, but like it, it was. It was clear that the industry, the newspaper industry, was shrinking, right. and um, you know, you want to go to something that's growing. And ESPN.com, while not necessarily new, it felt cutting edge. And they had a section of, of uh, ESPN.com called Page Two, okay. where Bill Simmons wrote for it, Hunter S. Thompson, Ralph Wiley, Scoop Jackson, all these really brilliant writers who wrote about that intersection of sports and culture. And they wanted me to write for that. And so, you know, that's what I did. And the thing that happens at ESPN, you start off there doing one job and you look up and next yeah, thing you know, you, you know, just, radio, TV, all like, that stuff. I feel like you, in my world, um, when you cross my lens, I felt like you came in hot. <laughs> and hot by, I mean, like on your A game. And I knew you were a star. Like, I was just like, this sister right here, I like her. I was like, I just like her there because I didn't see a lot of uh, black females um, in the early 2000s uh, in the sports world hanging with the guys and holding her weight eventually. A lot of times you you you, you kind of like, you knocked them off a little bit because I mean... <laughs> I like you, to think so. <laughs> you know, I, I believe it. I, I witnessed a lot of great interviews and a lot of back and forth conversations. And that's where you earn your credibility when you're on your feet, when it doesn't feel like you're looking at the camera and getting your answers. When you are fluid with your conversation, that's what I like, because I'm a big sports guy. But what people don't realize, like you're the real deal. Like you came from a very real city, um, came up from humble beginnings and and found your way, went to college. Um, I understand as a child, you had a really tough time with your mom. I did. So this is what I talk about a lot in my memoir, Uphill, available wherever books are sold. Yeah, go Uphill. It's available. <laughs> it's available, everyone. Amazon, all those good places, Barnes & Noble. Um, so one of the things, you know, you, you know this better than anybody. It's like people see this polished product. Yeah. But they have no idea not only what it took for you to get here, but what you've experienced along the way. And one of the biggest traumas that I suffered as a child was that I had a mother who had a very severe drug addiction. My father also had a severe drug addiction. They weren't married, but he got cleaner. He got clean before my mother did. Okay. You know, he was uh, addicted to heroin. And my mother, um, you know, she tried a variety of different drugs, but, but uh, painkillers were her main drug. She suffered a very traumatic sexual abuse when she was a child. And also um, she was a survivor of a rape uh, when I was about six or seven years old. And all these things is what really engineered her drug use. And so as a child to have to see that on top of the fact that we're growing up in poverty and um, having to navigate these very adult situations. So when people ask me, you know, I'm, I'm just so, amazed that you can hold your own on these particular oh, stages well, you built for the game exactly and, and especially you know the type of city detroit is so you mm -hmm. add all those elements together and while traumatic to have experienced it it prepared me perfectly for this life and you know what's so interesting you said that because i had a, another fellow michigan uh talent detroit native uh nico 
Yes, and, Cast Tech. That's where it went. And Nico, his interview was really riveting for me because he needed every experience in his life, good and bad, and it was a lot of bad, just to become who he is right now. Like, he was perfectly, it was almost like he needed all the superpowers of trauma and this and that, so that now he can be Nico, be in his skin, and be comfortable with it. It was just the most unbelievable journey for him. And I'm hearing uh, very similar um, characteristics in your life because you have definitely navigated through things. Uh, Michigan State, you get to go to college, you do your thing, you love journalism, you're an extremely talented writer. You get thrust into what I see from the outside, a male-dominated sport of journalism. Mm -hmm. How hard is that for a young black female to break through and like be considered like you know, top twenty, top twenty-five. I don't know how to. I don't know how. It we works. don't have rankings, Bill. I know, but you know, what it's saying? not released like, every like Monday. In the nation, you know yeah, what I'm saying? saying top journalist in the nation <laughs> every week. Well, <laughs> I, I, you you said a word. You said a word earlier that applies here, and that's credibility. Mm -hmm. So I think because I came up as a writer, that is what gave me the credibility. Stephen A. Smith also came up as a writer. I know. Yeah, and so writer and columnist. When you do that, that means you're in and out of locker rooms. You're covering events. I mean, I covered so much by the time I'd covered two Olympics, I'd done all these things, the NBA, the NFL, all these things by the time I got to ESPN, that that's that was my training ground. So I knew the game, I knew the players, I had sources, all those other things. And this was just about an analysis. And that's also very different. Most people, when they see women on TV, you're usually anchoring and setting up conversations for men. Correct. That's typically what yeah, you uh, or sideline reporting, you know, which I also did uh, for a season. That is a job. Let me tell you, <laughs> Woo, that job kicked my ass, man. That job ain't no joke. And you got to keep your head on the swivel. Watch out! Yeah, you do. And and, <laughs> and and not to be vain, but to be vain, you also reporting in elements and like all hairstyles don't hand, don't yeah. don't hold up. You know what I'm saying? That mm. perm got to be built different. It got to so. be built different <laughs> and sturdy. Exactly. That's why I had braids because I was just like, ooh, I can't be out here in this cold and looking this, crazy. You know what I'm saying? He's freezing rain. Y'all ain't gonna make me a trending topic, but um, <laughs> and you will. Yeah, in a minute. Like oh in a minute. God. I was like, you know, I ain't gonna be talking about my edges out here. But <laughs> um, so, you know, when you was so I was different in the sense that right. I was uh, driving shows with my conversation and opinions. Absolutely. And that's a different space. So you know, a lot of people first saw me on first take, and then I started doing around the horn and sports reporters. And, of course, all of that culminated to Mike and I uh, having our own show on ESPN where we did his and hers and then, obviously, eventually the 6 o'clock Sports Center. Now, here's one of the things about you that is sort of like a part of your uh, brand is you tell the truth. And when you really feel, when you're really passionate about something, you stand on yours. You do not run from the truth. Mm -mm. And, uh, you know, you've had a couple of uh, powerful tweets. A couple of... <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Because I follow you on Twitter. And, you know, every now and then my, my phone screen will get cracked. So I'm, <laughs> I'm like, she is not playing today. She woke up with the shit. Yeah, I do kind of so, wake up that so way. So you wake up and you you just come because you you're in my top. So, like, whenever you post, you get I get, like, the top people. You're in my top, just okay. so you know Ooh. you're in my top. Ooh. So um, you on Twitter, like, you have definitely have hit some hot, hot topics and like some, whoo, people say, oh my God, oh my God. Do you feel that we are going backwards with freedom of speech with everyone not being able to tolerate being questioned about 
an equality or or oh my god like this is just your opinion about it deal with it so this is what people need to understand about <laughs> freedom of speech okay what it actually covers freedom of speech covers you from government persecution it does not cover you from people on Twitter coming from you. Absolutely. Okay, those are different things, all right? That's real life. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it's like it doesn't is it doesn't protect you from a company wanting to distance themselves because of something that you said. It covers you from if you say, you know, to hell with Joe Biden, Joe Biden can't come after you. Correct. That's what it covers you from. So we need to be very clear about what that means. And I know that people like to talk about cancel culture and all that thing. I call it, in some cases, to be accountability culture. And because you have more people who can directly challenge, especially public figures, what they say, how they think, uh, that people are letting them know in real time how they feel, right? Because it used to be, let's say, with an athlete. An athlete does something, says something. You know, he might not find out people hate him for four weeks because of a snail mail. You right, know what right, I'm saying? Right, right. Now, but they, now you know they instantly. Just like, at such and such, you ain't shit. And then <laughs> you know immediately, this, right? This is true. I mean, yeah, this you, culture right now um, is really interesting from for me as yeah, a comedian. As a comedian, as a comedian, it's, it's comedian because yeah. now, you know, you got to be so crafty on what you say. But, think okay, about it two, I three ask times. You this. Do you really feel like you have to, or is it that, because I'm sure independent or however you think people feel now mm -hmm. just because times have changed there's some jokes you told 20 years ago you probably wouldn't change now that you probably wouldn't say now would you? Uh, yeah I probably not because they're, probably, they're offensive yeah, but just, just because I, they might be played out that's one of them but then also too like can you say it that same way because now it feels to me like they want everybody to be at your grandmother's house. You know how you go to grandmama's house on Thanksgiving? <laughs> everybody, you know, everybody watch their language when they're at grandmama's house. But you go in the yard, you start cussing. Oh, yeah, you get right. out with big cousin right, and right, start right, smoking right, weed right. Like, and drinking. you like, let me tell you. But the internet initially used to feel like you could go outside and you could cuss. But now the internet now has so much feedback, like you said, and it could get crazy and then it could, get, it could go viral. Uh, a tweet or a comment can get just get build momentum so now it's kind of like okay do i go hard hard or do i just like leave it alone i always have to even when i when i um when i when i post a video uh or i look at it two three times sometimes i'll be like uh because it's funny to me right I, I think i got flagged they gave me a timeout I got a couple you got, times. You got a couple times. Oh, they timed out Bill Bellamy on Facebook wow. a couple times. Inappropriate attitude. Fix your face. What? They told me to stop. That ain't funny. You know, they come in the back door and tell you, you know, this is why we shut you down because you said this and it's not wow. uh, indicative of our ethics. And I was like, that was a joke. <laughs> so with you in, in, in journalism and in sports, you have, it seems like you guys have a... Um, a decree or a uh, accountability to the what the what journalism is first and then it's layers to then Jamil and then this and that because like journalism is its own thing and it has so much like you said earlier accountability and integrity about it because you do your research you know you know what you're talking about is based on facts and then personality comes yeah well oh, no. I do well no 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 you're right Ideally, that's how it goes, right? In a perfect world. world. Okay. But I would say probably these days there is, actually isn't much accountability in journalism. Like I, the things that I see that are so inaccurate or that's the way media frames things, I, I think is 
really kind of disastrous in most yeah because it's, we 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 assume everything that we read is true before we figure it out exactly right? and uh there's a rush now to be first as opposed to being right mm. and that's that's kind of bad because i mean we see it all the time especially when people die and they done killed that person about 10 times before it's actually official and you're like okay I, the one thing that you used to know in this profession that was a no-no is you cannot get somebody's death wrong it used to be the same in terms of spelling someone's name something yeah, that similar that's true. that was considered to be a very egregious error now you see I see mistakes and errors and typos and stories all the time, and it drives me crazy because it leads to a, lar a larger issue. And no accountability. No accountability. And fame, once fame kind of made its way into journalism, it really changed the game. I mean, at, like at ESPN, they sort of ushered in the celebrity journalists because you couldn't help it. You're on such a big platform that it doesn't just become, oh, you know, the next thing. It's Jamel Hill said the next thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that they stink. So now all of a sudden it's 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 my opinion. Yeah, and, and I gotta defend myself. It's good or bad and I gotta defend whatever that is or you know, who knows where that might go. And so it's it's a little different because when I came up in journalism, it was as a journalist, you were not supposed to be part of the story. Do you still love not the case now? Do you still love just the the art of journalism? Oh, I still love it. I mean, mm. I write for the Atlantic as a contributing um writer and mm. it's uh, that, you know, being able to cover sports from the perspective of the intersection between culture, race, politics, gender, those are messy waters, yeah, as you it know. Gets, it gets tricky. It gets tricky, it gets complicated, but I love digging into those complications. Much like probably any profession, what keeps you in it is obviously being able to creatively feel like you're in a good space. The other thing is it's always about the possibility, um, you know, because journalism isn't perfect. But I know what it can be, and that's enough to keep my love for it very, very strong. So, yeah, I still, I still love it today as mm. much as I did when I was in college and getting paid $30 a story to write a freelance story. Wow. I, I got a question for you. Since you really, really, really have navigated the sports world as a female uh, very, very well, do you think now that uh, politics has become such a... Uh, category in the world of sports does you do you think it is room for it or do we have to navigate it in a way so we do not overcome what sports is about because sports is originally i thought was just like it's sports and that's <laughs> what it is but now people's voices are coming through sports soco yeah no i would say that sports and politics and race mm -hmm. and gender have always mixed and we have to remember that sports has created avenues for us to have much larger conversations in society or have them differently. You know, uh, Jackie Robinson, he integrated Major League Baseball in 1947. The Civil Rights Act didn't come until 1964, okay? So that's way ahead of the curve. Jackie Robinson's presence got the country to think differently, think, to think differently about integration. And, you know, even though it was sort of a slow turn away from segregation, if you will, uh, the fact is, sports was leading that conversation. When John, when um, John Carlos and Tommy Smith raised their hands or raised their fists at the '68 Olympics, that was about bringing awareness to the fact that they were playing for a country that, when they went back home, they were second-class citizens. Yeah. Muhammad Ali, same thing. This is when we have a conversation about war and respect and humanity and all of those things through the lens of sports. And so sports is a very powerful position because if you think about a bill, it's one of the few things we still do together. We're very segregated, right? Mm -hmm. We don't go to church with different races usually. Our dinner tables, pretty much everybody around it looks the same. Mm -hmm. But sports, 
you know, we're here in Los Angeles. Like, you could be uh, somebody who's a garbage man. You could be a woman who works at the bank. You could be a lawyer. You could uh, be an actor. All y'all might have in common, y'all all Lakers fans. Yeah, that's, I never thought yeah, of it like that's, that. Yeah, that's, that's the beauty of sports. So I think it's more than appropriate for us to use sports as an opportunity to talk about things that are part of our regular society. And we also have to stop thinking that sports is happening in one universe and the rest of the world happened in another one. No, they're it, simultaneous. They're simultaneous, right? Yeah. This ain't the Matrix. They right. ain't like a red pill, blue pill. Like, it ain't different, all right? So if there's institutional racism in society, yes. society includes sports. So we, we talk about it. If there's, you know, you see what is happening with the, uh, and has happened for years now, the lack of black coaches black men in leadership positions it is not well represented in corporate america why would it be any different in sports right right but, so, we, but they push the initiative you know and it's it doesn't work sometimes sometimes it does um you know stephen a smith you know uh is very adamant about the coaching thing we we talk about it a lot and like just pushing letting up the conversation so people are aware of it right because a lot of times they just go with what they've been doing you know just the way it's been the old system the wheels are spinning why 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 <laughs> why change the wheel right but i feel like this in my lifetime in the last i want to say last let me say 15 years i've seen a lot of change like a lot of change you know just just the way athletes are stepping out you know and and you know from colin kaepernick to cp3 and lebron and and um uh, carmelo and different athletes that are just like saying you know this is how i feel and I want to do something, right? Um, why isn't anybody, all the athletes, doing something for Brittany Griner? Well, we talking feel about crazy it. about. I like, know it, it's it, the best thing that they can do is obviously keep her name, keep saying her name. Yeah. And I'm glad you brought that up because that's another way we can we can continue to not only pressure our own government to yeah. make a deal, and you know, at least based off the reports, a deal has been on the table, and they feel like you know Russia is also receptive. Uh, a little more receptive to whatever deal that they have proposed. Uh, that's the most important thing, keeping this in the in the public consciousness. That's what other athletes can do. So when, you know, I see the NBA players wearing the Britney Griner shirts or just simply tweeting her name, that's a way that you can do that because this is a complicated geopolitical issue. It's, it's tough because I, I, I'm going to ask you this because you can, I know you're going to tell me the truth. <laughs> Do you think if Brittany Griner was a LeBron James or a, a Sue Bird or another more uh, popular, you know, player, would do you think this, the tables would be different? Well, I'll say this. I think to some degree we're asking. It's how, that's almost like a setup question. Number one, they ain't arresting LeBron James. Like, right. let's, like let's just be <laughs> real. They're not arresting LeBron James, okay? Not like for a pen. It, it, I mean, it, it was like residue. I mean, it's, like, it's, maybe. it's not even anything. And, and by the way, let me just make this point. We actually don't know what it was because I, I know there have been reports. They said it was a vape pen. They said it was, but here is, I guess, where I'm sort of, you know, putting on the, the journalist hat a little bit, is that Brittany has been going back and forth to this country for years. She's won them multiple championships, all right? Don't she get some love? You over there winning for people? Well, and that's one part of it, because I'm like, where's her, the owner of her team that she plays for? And I've heard that there might be some issues, you know, going on there with him and, and, and the Russian government. But, you know, she's going over there because she gets paid a lot of money to do that. She's also, you know, a 6'6", queer woman in a country that is extremely homophobic. 
And so there is just an inherent target on her back, period. I mean, mm -hmm. just on the way over here, I was reading about how she's been moved to this Russian penal colony where it's a 18-hour workday, okay? What? 18 hours. So, you know, it's just... It's just funny to me because I think the question is, is not if this would be about it, what, how this would be handled if she were LeBron James or any other athlete. Correct. My issue is the lack of empathy. And because Brittany Griner, based off some of, some of our own attitudes, you know, the, the former president, he said, basically let her rot because she's, a, she's an activist um, you know, she's had some uh, pointed things to say, especially as it relates to, you know, it, it protesting in the national anthem. Like, Britney's mm. a, she's a voice, right? So he's just like, I don't even, you know, whatever. And we already know in this country how, like, black queer women are treated. And even some people in our community, because suddenly it's interesting to me that when it's other black people who, let's just say, may have stepped to follow the law, that to this level of seriousness in air quotes, then it's free such and such. It's get such and such out of jail. Right. That's not fair. Suddenly, law and order Twitter want to come out and be like, well, it's like, rules are rules. Oh, really? Mm. Well, rules are rules with this? Okay. That you wanted to start a hashtag about, but now suddenly, because of who it is... It don't matter. You're right. Oh, okay, that's so, deep. That's deep. So I, I, I think, really, this is about um, her a combination of her sexuality and race and the fact that black women, period, have a hard time being visible and seen in this country. So the levels of sympathy are not there. Because best believe if this was a white woman... I right. was I would say she'd be out of there. <laughs> I would say I, I don't know nothing. Least, I don't know nothing. I'd she may she not be, be out say, of there. I, I would say she'd probably say I'm but sorry and be home. Of sympathy would be, be different. different. That's what I'm talking about. It's like you know we, we're dealing with back to the race. We're dealing with a country that hates us, as in Russia, right? They really can't stand us, right. so they have no incentive to really necessarily play ball. There's some things they want from us, and, and so be it. Like I said, it's a a complicated geopolitical issue, but. What, what bothers me is the lack of sympathy we have for Brittany Griner here. Because we have to think about this. This woman has been detained for, gosh, I don't know how many months it's been now, but seven, eight months, maybe, maybe longer, all right? Her, her career, she's in the prime of her career. Correct. And to think this, it could be gone. We're talking about nine years. There's a very real possibility she may do all nine. Oh, in a Russian God. prison. So I'm like, nah, man. We we have to do whatever we can to get her out. Have I to. mean, it's 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 interesting with with uh, sports lately, man. That we are a lot of athletes are going through. Most recently, Kyrie Irving. Mm -hmm. You know, um, Jersey guy. Love his talent. Um, he always seems to do something every two years. You know? <laughs> yeah. Every Kyrie, two, is that his, is that I mean, his I think every, every 14 months, Kyrie be like, I'm going to do something. You know, it just seems like that. Probably not. But in my eye, I'm just like, Ky what Kyrie say this time, right? But this particular time, um, it, it literally caused a firestorm. It did. I mean, it was... So here's the thing. All right. The one thing, when we have discussions about this, we have to be able to have something that is often lost, and it's called nuance. Now, I wrote a column about Kyrie for The Atlantic. Mm -hmm. A lot of our people did not appreciate it. Mm -hmm. And that is, and understand this, this is before any of those possible requirements came out. Okay. Those requirements, to me, were too much. Yeah, they and seem... And it felt ridiculous. Yeah, they seem And it also felt a little retaliatory, uh, retaliatory based off, we know that, you know, Kyrie, his stance on the vaccine. And 
you know, if you're the ownership, depending on how you look at it, to some degree you're looking at it, he cost us a season. He cost us, uh, and I, I knew that that would not. And we could never get it back kind we can't, of thing. Right? So it felt like this was carryover. This was resentment that they had been like, okay, mm-hmm. so we allowed you to be a part-time player. We did all this stuff, and then now here you go again, right? right? So that's what that reeked of to me. But I know the black people don't want to admit this, but he was wrong for tweeting that, or not tweeting, posting that link. And I watched the documentary. I just want this to be known. Okay. Three hours, okay? Mm -hmm. Watch this. In the first 20 minutes, you have a reference to Willie Lynch. Willie Lynch is not real, black people. Not real. You have a quote from Henry Ford. Henry Ford, for those who do not know, yes, the the automaker, that guy, one of the most well-known anti-Semites. He was such an anti-Semite that Hitler shouted him out in his book, Mein Kampf, okay? Shouted out Henry Ford because he was a fan of his. He ran an independent newspaper in Dearborn, Michigan, which is right outside Detroit. All he did constantly was talk about and blame the Jews for literally everything. He wrote a four-volume book about how much he couldn't stand the Jews. Okay. This is the quote in the movie. Again, this is just the first 20 minutes. Then there's a full screen where the header is the six ways in which the Jews have hid their true nature. Okay, this is a full screen. You could see it. I could pause it and show y'all. Number five, six million people died in the Holocaust, which is called Holocaust denial. Now, on the bingo chart of things you cannot do, that is probably number one in the Jewish community. So when people were coming at Kyrie and saying it's anti-Semitic, that's what they were talking about. Now, he never said how he felt about it, but just platforming it is dangerous. Correct. All right? And I understand that there are black folks who want to research their roots. I know there's, obviously, there's a Hebrew-Israelite movement. I totally understand that. There's nothing wrong with researching your roots. Nothing wrong with finding out what your origin story are. I mean, we're being in this country, a lot of us, I mean, most of us don't even know what it is. So I fully understand (laughs) this idea. I get it. But what should be a signal to you that maybe I got to rethink this is sometimes you got to see who's lining up next to you and who's supporting you and who's lining up behind you. A lot of the talking points that are in this documentary are the same talking points the KKK uses when it comes to talking about Jews. So if you find yourself in alignment with particular groups... Get out of there. Get out of there. That's not the thing. And, you know, people have to understand, too, and I'll I'll say the story, for obviously, for this show, is that... So I reached out to Kyrie privately, because he... And I I don't want people to think I think he's a bad guy. I think he's actually a really good human being. Absolutely. He's very charitable. Made a mistake. He made a mistake. But before this post, I reached out to him privately because he posted a video from Alex Jones, as in the Alex Jones who just got sued for a billion dollars because of the terror he caused on the families of Sandy Hook, the people whose children were killed. He ran around with this hoax and this this complete fabrication that Sandy Hook wasn't real, that the children who died were paid actors. He was saying this on every platform. And he said this was the government's ploy to try to get people to, uh, you know, it was the government's ploy to come and take your guns. So he has been calling Sandy Hook a hoax for years. These people lost their children. Yeah, man, that was crazy. And that was, like, if I'm one of of those parents, I'm running up on Alex Jones, right? Absolutely. 100%. 
And he tormented the, these families forever. The level of hate, intimidation, I mean, the death threats that they got, that's why the court was like, run that billion. Yeah, run you it. cannot post anything from Alex Jones. At all. Nothing. And Nothing I was like, bro, I was like, I promise you, I'm not, I'm just looking out. Like, that might not be the thing because people are going to assume when you post it, you're aligned with it. Absolutely. And even I'm, though... I learned from that. I learned, you know, as, as a guy who, you know, I'm mostly in the comedy vein of trying to make people laugh, not trying to hurt people or, you know, offend anybody. It really made me realize, like, I got to know what I'm doing. Like, I got to know. You know what I mean? I repost something for and don't really pay attention and let it fly. <sighs> you right because whatever yeah, if you, i'm responsible in a way you're responsible yeah, yeah, right yeah, it's responsible. like even whether you know a retweet is an endorsement as they say Facts. okay especially when you got a big platform when you got a big a big platform they're gonna hold you responsible for everything even though uh, again like Kyrie has made it very clear that he's on this search for knowledge you know him finding his indigenous roots and i i applaud that you know, love what he's done charitably. We, he and I worked on a, um, a, a Breonna Taylor initiative that he started, uh, where he, uh, I, I moderated a conversation between him and Common about Breonna Taylor because he was very aware of the fact that, you know, her name was getting lost in the shuffle. So right. there's a lot of good in him. Oh, it's a, a lot, lot of, the, of wonderful things that yes. he, he has done and never asked for any No, no recognition. He, he, he ain't nothing. even trying to hear that. No. I just don't want... I just want him to be smarter about how he uses his platform. Yeah, That's and it. any athlete, you know, right now it'll be, it's Kyrie, and we, we, we love Kyrie for his talent and what he has done for the game. I think it's a teachable moment for everybody. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Everyone can learn a little something from this. We don't, we're not here to hurt people. Okay? No, 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 not at all. We're not here to do that. Number two, if we do, we own it. We, 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 okay, my bad. But only problem I have with it is sometimes it feels, it's like, it's almost like they just want to put your face in and just make you put the elbow on your neck and kind of mush your face in the mess that you made and da 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 da. Well, and that's I'm, what I was saying about the, the, the point about nuance. Okay. Yeah. There's one part of it. Yes, he was wrong. He shouldn't have done it. Then the other part. And this is where, you know, so many well known black people have found themselves in this spot. I found myself in this spot as well is that you're right. When we do make a mistake, mm -hmm. all right, then the, the mission is on to take everything, right? Yeah. No growth opportunity, no apology opportunity. Take your job. Take I, it all. Take your shoes off. They take everything. They want to strip you down like uh, to the bone and almost not even offer you an opportunity to, to to apologize or to get better you know what i mean like we're all human everybody on this planet has made a mistake before in their lives right or just said something out of place real fast you was thinking oh, oh my god i shouldn't have said that i ain't even see the kids how many times you been at your grandma's house like, oh man i ain't see the kids sitting right there right <laughs> and you like, been cussing I mean, up a right, store right, right, right. and Tell that's just a, a fun way of saying what i mean like oh man dang, i ain't that little kid my, my bad. bad that was an adult situation <laughs> yeah, right no you're so, right. case right. in point, you know, do do you think it's even harder for women to say what they want in um or or is it is it like a double standard? Oh, no, for sure. I mean, well, let's be clear. I would say if you're a black woman, <laughs> it's super double. It, it 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 can be, and it depends a lot of times on what you're speaking out of. But if you're speaking out about something where I'll just say um a black man may be at fault. It puts you as a black woman in a very precarious position because, right. you know, we're aware 
very aware, understand very intimately the issues that black men face, how they have been deemed threats of society from literally the womb. Black boys can't even be children. They come out and all of a sudden they have all these grown man things that are being heaped upon them by the society and just the way that they're treated. And we very much understand that. And when we, because I've run into this, you know, personally, it's like when even my my criticism of of Kyrie by just saying it was he shouldn't have done it, right? Even just saying that, the number of brothers that be riding him, it's just calling oh, they, me. They probably Ooh. be in your DMs. Your DMs probably was on fire. It's my you know, you tripping? Yeah. Why you always? Why are you, you on the talking. You, you always you, you against always us. The, you <laughs> against us, man. I, look, Bill. I, I can so, only imagine. I've been called so many bad witches, biscuit eaters, mammies. I'm oh, like, they so mad at you. I don't know why the biscuits though. I'm trying to figure that out. That's because you kind of thick. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Uh, no, but that's you know what they. But that's actually a compliment. That, you, call, you know what I'm saying? You got a little bit of something. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, you got a little shape on They ain't call you no ham. So you like, with your biscuits? You it, got a little. Because biscuits are lovable. First of all, biscuits are <laughs> and delicious. They, and they're fluffy. And they're fluffy. And they're I'm nice. not fluffy, but they are They are, They are. are delicious. But it's apparently <laughs> I'm a just term. teasing, by the way. I don't want to say nothing crazy. <laughs> and had a whole top bill of staff throw me under the train. Now I got to apologize in 18 <laughs> languages. <laughs> Because I called Jamil Hill a biscuit. Okay, <laughs> go ahead. Apparently, it's a term. <laughs> it's a term. Of it's a, no, not a term. No, it's not a term. Okay, okay, because no, no, they no, was not, mad at you. It was mad at me. If it's I like said, basically calling me a coon. That's what they were calling oh, me. Oh, yeah. that's rough. Yeah, that's okay. rough. So it's, it's and, and that's another part of what we have to graduate to as black people. We got to be able to disagree without somebody being a sellout in yeah, the coon. Yeah. It's like we got to be able to It's so tough. And I've witnessed it in so many different ways, especially because I watch ESPN every single day of my life. I'm addicted. And I know what they're going to say because I've seen it eight times already. Okay. (laughs) But like most recently, and uh, maybe you can break this down for me, uh, Ime, right? Ime Mm -hmm. had a situation, um, head coach of Boston Celtics, that situation, co-worker. It was interesting to me to see how that was played out. Like it, it was like leak, quiet. Leak, 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 quiet. We're doing something, doing something. And then boom! And we was, still don't know everything. Right. We it was just know. it was a weird, um, it was a weird way to um kind of get somebody suspended and not get paid. Cause let me tell you something. I've been around sports a long time. It is not uncommon for people to mess around on the job. No. I was at MTV and everybody was screwing everybody. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute, are, y- are y'all go together? Y'all go together? Okay, because y'all acting weird, right? Like, I was finding out who was in relationships at my job at MTV back in the day. You wasn't supposed to technically fraternize. But in the NBA or the NFL, man, everybody go together or or go out, company dinner, uh, uh, they go out after the game, get a couple cocktails, and then they find out they like each other for one night. <laughs> <laughs> they went together for one night? Yeah, they okay. went together for one night. One but night. what I'm saying, I'm joking, but... The real part about it is it is not uncommon that there are work uh, relationships. Or sometimes they just become a real relationship and people actually get married, you know? Yeah, no, the, the, the tricky issue can be if somebody's a subordinate and somebody is a supervisor. Yeah. That's the tricky part. Now, I'm going to be real. At ESPN, there was a policy. There is a policy. I can't say was. Uh, because there was a very bad scandal that happened there. Mm-hmm. Like, pretty much, pretty shortly after I got there, I got there in 06, and one of the uh, talent um, who was on Major League Baseball, he had an affair 
okay. um, with someone who was very junior, like a production assistant level. Brand new. You're right. Uh, and he was bringing her on the road, right? Uh, and so people didn't... Because he needed help. Because <laughs> people didn't know that, but he was also <laughs> married, and what happened was it went so left that oh. old girl showed up at his crib, and oh. it was like a whole... Oh, that's left left. Oh, it went left left. Oh, like, man. left could right? So after that blew up, and it was all over... You know, the Today Show, all in the New York papers. ESPN was like, all right, tell you what we're going to do. We're going to stop this. Well, you know, to your point, when you're working with people, sometimes you can't stop that. But what they did tell people is that if you are involved with someone, you have to tell us. Okay. Right? Because if somebody needs to be moved, like, hey, I know you were on this show. Because that's protection for, for ESPN. Yeah, right. It's not about, they, they don't care about mm. what's happening in your bedroom. They're thinking about how can we mitigate being sued. And the funniest, Facts. like, when they disclosed this policy, the funniest <laughs> thing happened in the, they did it in a town hall meeting. I'm not going to say who it was. Don't say no names, because we don't a, want nobody in your I, DMs, please. No, but it was an ESPN talent that stood up when they were like, you know, if you're seeing somebody, and they were like, I have a question. What constitutes seeing? And I fell out, because oh they were like, I God. mean, if, you know, you, if you already, just get a woman. If you got to ask, you know what it is. But the thing is, though, it's just like, they, what the, the gist of the uh, what they were trying to say is like if 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 you have a one night stand with somebody you got to tell the company like it might it might just be no, a, no, a, a, I, I, a one and done. I, no, I think I think the one offs is good. You ain't got to tell because right. you ain't going back. That's basically what she right because you ain't going. That was basically what she was trying to figure out. Like yeah, she's like because right, I was I ain't got to tell if that. If it's just a couple weeks, are we good? Like do I have to say something? Or if, like, you, if you double back, yeah, you got to talk because you start to get serious. You feel me? But a double, even a double back, like what? You know what? What is the number of times you get before you got to tell? You get like five know, times. That's you know what I'm saying? Funny. I'm gonna write a joke about that. That's funny. It's like what is that? I gotta put that in my put that in my notes. So what I'm what I say all that to say as we were talking oh. about Ime Udoka is yes. that there seemed to be a clear difference in position, right? Okay. And so I don't think it was just about the fact that he, you know, stepped out. He, even him stepping out on on Neil, like that had nothing to do with it. Right. It had everything to do with. They're thinking we do not want to be sued for this later right, on right. down the line. How do we how do we navigate the politics of it, so, so to speak? Well, I think. No, I'm saying I'm thinking like the Celtics were navigating the the the, the uh, politics of that situation. Head coach in power. Da da da. Boom boom boom. Somebody who may not have as much power or whatever, and then if it goes bad. It's bad, bad. It's going to be bad, bad. Yeah, for so everybody. So that's what they're trying to do. And, you know, I, I do think some of the conversation around it was pretty sloppy, I would say. Right, right. You know, from a media standpoint, because I didn't think that part was pointed out enough. And what I really hated because of the leaks is that suddenly every woman who worked for the Celtics was indicted. Yo, that was, that was crazy. That was wild. I never seen nothing like that. It was almost like they said every woman in the organization was her. Yeah. And so they you walking around. They posted pictures of people. No! And I was like, like, just him being like. It was just, like murder. You know how they, was it murder? Who, who, murder She Wrote? Murder She Wrote. Or remember when they tried to find out who killed the person and they used to have it like be on a train? It's a movie. <laughs> I can't think of it right now. And you got to pick out who the killer is. Oh, like Clue, like something like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, okay. Like Clue. Yes. Because okay. it looked like every day they had a different lady face. They I did. was like, I was like, yo, Which he did. Which is horrible. I was like, he did all of them? No, I no, mean, I but, no, but the <laughs> I was like, man, he was like Tiger Woods. <laughs> the whole, but the whole point is like, suddenly you got women who just came oh, to work minding their business. And next what, if you were, what if you the new chick, you ain't even know 
about nothing. You come in and like, it was you. See what I'm saying? I just got here. My card don't even work. Swipe yet. Fling, fling. And they oh like, no, nah, it might have been you. Or even, you know, people up in there are various situations. You got married folks in there. Like, yeah, you're a you, messing, woman, you come home. You messing everybody's house up for no it's reason. For no reason. Uh, they threw a grenade on the whole organization with that. That was not done. But speaking of, let's go back. I want to go back because you've had some interesting things in your life. Because mm. you are, as, like, as still to this day, you're getting in it with everybody. Because you're going to say what you're going to say. <laughs> I'm gonna say. I love it about you. Because you don't, you ain't running. That's the Detroit in you. You ain't right. running from nobody. Um, you had a situation. It's supposed to be like it's sort of mythical. This beef with uh, Chris Berman back yeah. in the day. And I, people don't talk yeah, about it. People don't know. How how <laughs> how did it get to to be such a beef? So it, you know, Chris Berman, as you know, is an avid ESPN watcher, legendary broadcaster. Legendary. He's been there since the network started. started. Yeah. So <laughs> Hall of Famer, all that. He deserves his flowers for that for sure. Um, but he and I, uh, we got into a personal situation in the sense of. Uh, when I was there, I, I think this might have been maybe like 2010, 9, somewhere in there. So the Lions were, uh, this is when they had Ndamukong Sue, and he was the, the, the big star for them. The Lions were going to have Monday Night Football for the first time in forever. There was also a home playoff game that the Tigers had that same weekend. It was, and, and then there was something else going on. It was a wonderful weekend or in Detroit. Detroit. Yes. yes, right? A dream, big, dream situation. You know what I'm saying? Banner, banner weekend. And so Detroit was really going to be on the national map. So the NFL countdown producers came to me and asked me to voice over an essay trying to capture this moment that would appear on Monday Night Countdown. And I was like, all right, cool. And a friend of mine was on their production staff, and she told me that when they told Chris Berman that I was doing a voiceover for this show about, you know, the city of Detroit, his exact quote was, I don't want that Angela Davis shit in my show. That was the exact quote. And I was like, oh. And so when my girl came Ooh, back and told me, crazy. I was like, oh, oh, that's what we're doing? That's what we're okay. doing. Okay. okay. All right. Okay. I was like, but, you know, I was like, I'm going to hold it. I'm, I'm not going to even run up on them. I'm just going to. You're going to let your temper stay by. Because <laughs> I know you got to love you you like a tea kettle. I bet you let it stay right there before boiling. Just let it hover for a but minute. But you know what? <laughs> I also understand sometimes the value of saving things for later. Okay. Right? So. Chess, not checkers. You see what I'm saying? Mm, you get it. I'm with you. So I, I let it ride. Right? I was like, okay, I let it ride. But it's in the back of my mind. And every time I saw him, I was like, woo, you just don't know. Come uh, then some time later, I, I'm not, maybe like, I don't know, three or four years later, I'm on his and hers. And Sports Illustrated is doing a piece about women navigating the ultra male, ultra white world of sports. And, and one of the things I, I talked about was that from a look standpoint, women are obviously judged much harsher. You know, sports dudes can be old and gray on TV and no one cares. You know, women, they're just going to hold us to a different standards from the viewers to the people making the decision. And so what I said in the article was that no one cares that Chris Berman is balding on TV. That's right, what I said. Right. <laughs> so, I mean, it's true. He's still working. It's He's fine. still working. It's like, no one cares. Deal. No no one cares, right? So, nobody's like, oh, goodness. Like, a woman, you know, she starts to age, they're going to be looking for her replacement. Let, let, let a woman here start going on TV. Oh. She's going to be going, or they're going to throw a wig on it. They probably will throw a wig They'll on it. They'll throw a wig They'll on it. Yeah, yeah, they're on not going to let it sit there. But at the same time, if they... <laughs> At the same Dif time. Different standard. Different standard. And when they do throw the wig on it, they'll be like, y'all looking for her replacement? Okay, all right. Just let us know. So, you know, I say that, and apparently he took offense. 
and he left a voicemail on my um, on my uh, voicemail at at work, and said some stuff on my voicemail. Mm. And I don't know what he said. I still do have the voicemail, but I asked my former co-host Michael Smith. I said, "Hey, listen to this voicemail because it came from Berman." And he listened to it. He was like, sis, you don't even need to listen to this. And I was like, dang, it's like that. Because he went in. Because he, 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 like, well, was, he was like, well, what was the gist of it? And he was like, well, he basically said that because of his stature at ESPN, that he could make life hard for you around here and even potentially get you fired. That was the gist of yeah, what he said. Yeah, I could imagine. Right? So then, you know, I'm like, I'm going to still leave it there. Like, you know, this is a beat between me and you. Like, all right, all good. We'll, I'll address it maybe the next time that I see you. Didn't get to be a next time. A couple days later, an ESPN executive who was over our show called me into her office and said, well, you know, Chris Berman came to us and said that, you know, he really didn't like something that you said in Sports Illustrated. And we just want to know, you know, would you, would you apologize? They <laughs> want me to apologize for something. We have to. You know that. Bill, I just you, ain't cut like that. Okay. You I ain't cut to Detroit again. I God, ain't cut like that. Damn it. That Detroit come out. I ain't out. cut like that. You ain't cut for that. No. Not, not, not for that one. So what I told her, <laughs> not for that one. And this this is, I write it out even more detail in, in, in the book, by the way, for those listening. So the, I told the executive, I was like, look, I got a voicemail from Chris Berman. Tell you what, you listen to it. And if you still think I should apologize after this, I will do that. Okay. But I'm thinking, ain't no way I'm apologizing. Like, it's just not happening. It's right. just not. I'd rather quit first. I'm not even kidding. Right. So <laughs> I send her the voicemail. She listens to you. it. I love you. I love you. She calls me back in her office. I'll quit. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> Basically, <laughs> I was like, I'll be uh, hungry. Okay. Be, back, be back in Detroit somewhere slinging these opinions on the corner and <laughs> shit. <laughs> I'll be damned. I'm going to do that. So... <laughs> <laughs> the next day she calls me back in her office and she said, I listened to the voicemail and I'm sorry I even asked you to apologize because you threatening another colleague over some shit in a really... It really wasn't necessary. It wasn't even necessary. So no. after that, when I tell you Chris Berman was on my shit list and I didn't even tell them about the Angela Davis shit. Like, I didn't even tell them, right? Because if she would have come back and said, hey, I'm gonna still need you to apologize and be like, boom! What about this Angela Davis? I'm putting the big joker down in. Drop the joker. I'm dropping the joker. Drop the joker. Because he said that in the company of other producers, right? Documented. And I know exactly who he said it in front of. And if he'd have tried to lie about it, I'd have got his ass, right? right? So I'm just like, okay. And so she didn't, and it went away. And after that, like, Chris Berman, I mean, when I tell you this man did not exist to me, like, we would be literally... You look like you could ch you could shut people out. It'd be over. Oh, I, it like, was over. Like, you, I never speak to you again. It was, I never plan on speaking to you. Don't even, you're, not, you're not even a spirit on this planet. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Like, you just know. Right. So the thing that changed, and this is a, a full circle. So John Saunders, who hosted Sports Reporters for many years, friend of mine, very good friend of Chris Berman's as well. John Saunders tragically passed. And it was devastating because John was a real champion of mine, me and Mike's in the show. And he was just really somebody I considered a mentor. He passes suddenly. ESPN has an on-campus memorial. In the memorial, Chris Berman is sitting one row ahead of me. And I wasn't planning on speaking to him. But before the memorial started, he turned around and he said, I'm really sorry for your loss. John thought very highly of you. And I wished him the same condolences. And after that, just thinking, because John Saunders, he died suddenly. And I was like, you know what? Even though there's a time I'd have choked Chris Berman full out. Right. Like, it's just not worth it. Right. You know what I'm saying? It's just like the animosity just isn't worth it. So I just kind of buried it that day. I was like, we we good. It's, yeah. it, it's fine. That don't mean we're going to get beers together or anything yeah, like that. Yeah, but I'm good. But I'm good. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And then, unfortunately, what happened um, after that was that 
uh, Chris Berman's wife tragically passed away and I had to do the read on SportsCenter and when I saw him in the office because it was it was very tragic circumstances which if y'all want to find out y'all can look it up but uh when I saw him in the office I said man I'm I'm just really sorry that you have to go through this and so I say all that to say that there is it taught me something about grace yes definitely taught me something about what really matters Mm -hmm. and I could have continued that petty grief into the grave. Yeah. Would have had every right to in many respects. Yeah, but you matured through it though. I, I, matured, see, yeah. I just matured through it. I was like, yeah. you know what? I'm all good, man. Like you gonna you gonna have other battles, Jamil. Because you don't you don't play. You I don't, will. What, what sign are you? I'm a Sagittarius. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know what? Yeah, don't act yeah. like we just be starting shit. Because yeah, that's be not starting, but yeah, we will do. finish but it. We will finish it. Oh yeah. <laughs> we will definitely finish it. This, this is what I want people to know um about this about you in this interview. They only know one side of you. Like they know that you are intelligent, you are you are witty, you are thorough. They don't know you have fun. Like people know. don't know you don't have They think I'm they, so serious. Yes. And I'm Yo, not. I got to party with you and your husband. We were out in Vegas at the Fat Joe. You you go to concerts and have fun. Oh yeah. No, and in that one I didn't even expect I didn't even, I don't think I found out until like an hour or so before. Me too, because I was shooting a movie there. I was shooting a movie. And so they they were literally like down the street from my hotel. And so uh, Fat Joe had texted me. He was like, yo, B, man, I'm coming to Vegas. I said, because he follows me, right? I I was out there shooting uh, back to the strip. And so he was like, yo, come pull up, pull up. So I was like, man, I had the night off too. It was like a beach party, a day party. I went. It was the most fun. Oh, it was so fun, and I, I, I think I saw it somewhere um, that he was gonna be there. So I hit him up too, and I was like, "Yo, you!" And he was like, "Pull, Yo, pull up." I was like, "Okay." You, bet. if people would know the part that I got a chance to, because I never partied with you and your husband before, and it was a bunch of us. Uh, Uncle Luke was there. Yeah, Noriega. Noriega was yeah. there. It was like it looked like an old school MTV jams speech party in the. Oh, it was so much fun. No, we had a lot of fun. Because I, I had come to town because I was actually going to see Anita Baker that night. Uh, in Vegas? In Vegas. So that's why I was there to support, you know, Detroit's own Anita Baker. And I don't know if you know, you probably know this, Bill, but the one thing, in one of many ways, Vegas has changed. You got to have about four gears. Like, it used to be. Because yeah, that day party didn't change the game. <laughs> The day party is literally the night party. And it, and if you think you're going from that day party, something else, See you're, what not I'm gonna saying? you're not going to make it. You're not going to make it. You're not going to make it. You might be able to get dinner. Yeah, maybe. Because the it, day party go too long. It go too long oh, or too you hard. you ever did them? You look like you do day parties twice a week. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> if I do a day party, I can't. Because now, like, promoters want me to do day parties when I go into a city. I've done maybe three. I can't do them. I can't do a day party, go hard, and then do comedy. And then function. Oh, yeah. no, 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 no. My jokes be slow. <laughs> I be dragging. No, I can't do it. No, I, and I realized, I was like, man, I ain't got that I ain't got that lever anymore, you right. know? And so I can only really stay in Vegas comfortably about 72 hours. That's it. That's, that's, that's really about it. That's before the decline. You know what I'm saying? And so that particular day... Because we went hard at the Fat Joe party. We went super hard. We on stage singing. They was drinking tequila like it was iced tea. I I mean, it's my drink. I I, I I promise you, she was getting after it, bro. I was getting it after Like, she was pouring my shots. I just drank. She she said, ah, ah, ah. (laughs) Oh, she put... I just oh, I finished it. She put it right back in there. I was on one, and so we left there. <laughs> that was so trying much to, fun. Trying to make the transition. Trying to transition. Trying to make tra- transition to Anita. We're like, okay, we're going to go back to the hotel, <laughs> get a couple hours of sleep. Two hours, please. So I, I wake up, and it's already an hour into Anita. 
No. But we scrambled. We rallied and got there. You, right? oh, so we, you got like, the last eight songs. I got the Well, I got the best <laughs> part. I got the last four songs, okay. one of which she pulled me on stage. Oh, so you you killed the game. Yes. it was. Well, it was the night Fat Joe was there, and I was looking at him like, what the heck? What didn't you drink that I drank? And you sitting here like. Fat Joe looked like he had green juices. Like, it looked like he'd do something. Because he, he's he been on his health thing. Yeah. So I think he got green he probably juices. He was drinking green tea. Yeah, he's drinking green mm-hmm. tea. We drinking the real stuff. We drinking the real stuff. He's probably drinking something else. But it was beautiful because, you know, uh, love Anita Baker, what she's meant to the city of Detroit is like immeasurable. We went backstage, we hung out with her. And um, she just was very gracious and very kind. And she's like, anytime you want to come to Vegas, just let me know. Cause I think resident- she's coming. I thought I heard she's that. She's got new dates. She got new dates. And I'm you know, so excited. I know this might seem very weird to people, given how much the culture has always loved her. But it feels like she's just understanding how much. People like the, love her family. How much? Yeah, because the love that Fat Joe showed her, Usher, Lil Wayne. Because oh. the night... Th- that we went Lil Wayne and, and Fat Joe were there. So that was yeah. when Lil Wayne really gave her her flowers, too. And I think she she is just now realizing what an what a icon she is. And I'm glad is. she's able to receive her flowers. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because we lost so many amazing, talented, iconic legends in the last 15 years that to have Anita still with us, and now she's coming into another gear. And then I just recently read that Sade might, I think she on her way back. It's going to be lit. Let me tell 2023 you. 2023 going to be lit. I don't care where Sade is I'm in going. the world. I'm, I'm going. going. It don't even matter what it costs. I don't care. Like, I don't care. Like, it's just like, all right, so we got to bust up in that 401k. It is what it is. Let's get it. Yes. I saw her once with John Legend. Mm-hmm. Sade is amazing. Sounds just like the you, record. Just like the record, right? But I'll, I tell people, and this is, I blame Beyonce for this. For a lot of people, Beyonce has ruined the concert experience. Why? Because I saw Beyonce walk on water. I'm not even playing. Yeah, I did. She too, did but that. I was high. I was high. <laughs> I think, I no, think she really she, did it. No, she really walked on water? Dude, she did this no, at. That's how she got Jay Z. She was like, baby, <laughs> I can on... walk on water. He would say, yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I haven't seen her do some oh, shit at a concert. Well, I'm just like, what is happening? Yo, her production is crazy. It's crazy. It's so crack, people crack. that see her are expecting every performer yeah. to be that. Sade is a voice concert. She got a mean yeah. ass two step. And, and that's she a- just, it's just voice. It's just voice. And energy. And energy. There that's it, it. And vibes. You don't know if Sade is 30. 50, 60, 120. Would you just know she's fine? She done look the same and for literally my, my whole life. My whole life. The same. Now, this is this before we get out of here. I have, I got it. First of all, I want everyone to get her book. If Uphill. This, Uphill, a memoir, Jamil Hill. You are fascinating. And I just wish that you can just keep climbing, keep pushing the envelope, keep being a maverick for females in the game. We need you. Detroit loves you. What up, though? <laughs> uh, we have a fun segment on our, oh, on our show. It's not going to no. be too bad. No, I love it. It's I love called, it. I'm it's here. called, uh, <laughs> It's called All Facts, and uh, we usually ask our guests, you know, we ask you a question. You got to tell the truth. Okay, okay? I will tell lie. the truth. Okay. Who is the best basketball player of all time to Jamel Hill? Uh, Michael Jordan. Clean. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it. it I know. No debate. No debate. Not not to me. It, it, I tell these young'uns now is that you you had to have lived through it. Yeah, they ain't. They, they don't understand. Well, yeah, it's like, don't y'all, y'all don't understand what it was like to see somebody. You've never seen a man stay in the air for a day. You know what I'm saying? The, fix himself a whole sandwich. There's never been nobody everything. else. Everybody got <laughs> nicknames. Nobody else named Air yet. It was a cultural phenomenon. Who, who else named Air? Nobody. Because you don't. Because you can't stay up there. 
Okay, cool. Yes, Michael Number Jordan. Number two, um, Michigan State will make it to the Final Four this year. Yes or no? Yes, because that's what we do. We are. We rank 12th right now. Oh, so, oh, so you want to put some money on that? What y'all you want to put? Y'all, y'all what want, you want to do? Y'all going to make it to the Final Four? <laughs> We're going to make it to the Final Four. You know how many Final Fours? I'll put, I'll put 100 on it. All right, 100. Yo, yo it's documented. I'll put top billing on it. I'm going to put it out right here. Hold on so y'all can $100. see. $100. We in I'll the Final Four. You, I know you got it. You can cash at me. Hold on. Hold on. <laughs> I want this to be documented, Uh-oh. documented on the See, show. So you walk around with a hundred. I'm rich. Look, look at that. Look at that. Look at that. Look at that. Meanwhile, we You get, think we... the show named Top Billing because I ain't got a top billing? Look at that. How? We got all these windows in here, Bill. You better be careful. They're going to be like, back. you got to hunt your back. Put it back, put it back, back, put it back, back fast. All right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> all right. This is just fun. Mm-hmm. Um, you most recently got married. Yes. Where is the most romantic place that you and your husband visited since you've been married? Oh, God, that's such a tough question because before we got married, we, t- we took more than a few vacations. So we have this tradition that just developed organically mm-hmm. where every year for each other's birthdays, we surprise each other on a trip. Oh, that's right? sexy. So, I'm yeah. going to steal that. I'm going to steal that. No, you, it's all yours. So, mm-hmm. like, this year for his birthday, I surprised him took him to Australia. Mm-hmm. Right? Last year on my birthday, he took me to Barbados. So, um, but this is before we were married in terms of maybe the most romantic... I'm going to say Fiji. I want to go there. Is it crazy? It's everything. Fiji is everything. And my personal suggestion is uh, um, it's a place called Laiku Laiku uh, Resort. Mm-hmm. Stay there. Overwater bureaus. Like, <sighs> it's beautiful. If you get in an argument over there, y'all, y'all ain't supposed to be together. This is impossible. I'm saying. Like, it's too beautiful. And I would tell people <laughs> it's way too beautiful, it's too beautiful to be for mad. You be, right? what, we, what we fighting about? We, over, we above water. I just no. saw a dolphin fly through the air. <laughs> It's like the food was incredible, and uh-huh. it's like a very private, secluded island. And it was, and there's, if you do go, there is a bar in the middle of the ocean called Cloud Nine, and you could do a bunch of tequila and jump off the top of it. It's amazing. See, see, she lived her best life. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, give it up for Jamil Hill. <laughs> go out and get her memoir, Uphill. It is available everywhere. You are a trailblazer, and we love you. One more time. Thank you. Can we do it like this, everybody? We get the number one interviews here. We have people that are making moves, people are making differences, people that care. We are the culture, top billing. Milk is chilling, this is chilling. What more can I say? Top billing. That's it for this episode of Top Billing with Bill Bellamy, executive producers for Breakbeat, Dave Mays, Brett Jeffries, Bill Bellamy, and Barry Katz. Production Tastemakers Media, recorded at Dash Studios in Los Angeles, California. Follow us at IG, Breakbeat Media, and at Bill Bellamy. Comment, like, and subscribe on Breakbeat Media YouTube channel. Subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever your podcasts are available. And visit us at www.breakbeatmedia.com.